The rest of you can turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 15, 2 Samuel chapter 15, and uh, I was originally going to try to cover five chapters in one message and realized that's going to be impossible. Um, and so um, uh, part of what we sang this morning is going to definitely apply next week, because next week we're going to focus more on David's sin. We're going to just see how through this whole story and through this whole process, he's more focused on his own sin and that his own sin caused this whole thing than anything else. But also, in the, the, there's some other things that are going on in the story. And I wanted to, especially since it's so big, I wanted to bring out those this week as we look at, um, in a sense, the story that I think as you read through it, you realize David had to tell this story. This is not something that if he had... If he hadn't told the story that it would have been in Scripture, that that the prophets would have written it down for us, because uh, you get a personal sense as he leaves Jerusalem of the interactions that he had and how this all played out. And so this morning, I want to, the title of this morning is Living by Faith in the Valley of the Shadow of Death. Living by Faith in the Valley of the Shadow of Death. Because we all go through difficult times. We all go through hard times. And how do we live by faith in those difficult times? And we're going to see how David does it and how David tells the story. And in a sense, it's like there's two layers here. It's like he's talking to his sons, saying, Sons, pay attention. You're going to go through hard times. Here's some things to learn about how this process goes. But he's also saying... To, to his sons, as well as to us, yeah, the, the average person, so to speak, there is an anointed king who, who is king regardless of the ups and downs of life. And how we look to him and how we respond to him is important as well. And I ran across this video of um, the, the Olympics are starting this week. I know some of you, especially like Kristen Vanderweide, are very excited about that. But uh, but we also have the Paralympics coming next month. And I ran across this story of, um, of the, 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 the blind sprinters in the Paralympics race. And I wanted to show it to you this morning. It's kind of a, a setup for what we're going to talk about. So hopefully this works. I love what I do. I love being in this position to understand that someone relies on me to get them from point A to point B. My purpose right now is to be someone else's eyes. I'm Yogi Roth. I was young when I discovered the power of story, how it can inspire and ignite something within us. Since then, I've spent years seeking remarkable accounts of human achievement. And through it all, these are the best I've found. My whole dreams for the majority of my, my being was to be an Olympian. I thought that I was ready to go, but it didn't happen for me. In my mind and in my head, I saw myself winning gold. When I didn't make it, that hurt. 
but everything happens for a reason. One door closes, another one opens. Good friend of mine gave me a call and said, hey, do you want to go to the Paralympics as a guide runner? You'll be working with someone who's totally blind. And he introduced me to David Brown. About time. <laughs> you ready? It's good to see you, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get it going. In the Paralympics, it's not easy to make a team. You have to be an elite athlete, period. I have to be prepared. Growing up and in, in practicing and training, I was an individual athlete. I've never had to worry about anyone else. Guide running is different. Someone else is relying on me to get them across the finish line. So now it's become a selfish sport to a team sport. Can you describe the tether? What do you tell him to put his hands, his feet? How, how does it work? It's about cadence. It's about steps and it's about rhythm I always slap the ground hard when I slap the ground he knows my hand is right there I'll slide in my blocks real quick tether up David are you ready how do you feel I'm good we just we take off we go drive 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 there you go stay relaxed gradually come up we're at the 20 meter mark Use your arms, use your arms, David. Come on, come on, pick it up. And it feels like time slows a little bit too while our rhythm is in sync and it's, it's becoming one person. There you go, you're looking good, you're looking good. We're at the 10 meter mark. Five, lean. In 2016, I knew he was going to win the gold from our training, our relationship, the energy we had, and the trust that we had between each other. That was probably one of my biggest accomplishments when I was able to put someone on that podium, someone that is totally blind, with the flag draped around him, and hearing the national anthem, him smiling like crazy. I want him to know that there's a lot of people watching what he just did. It just, it's, it's bigger than just running. We can open up a whole new world of ideas and conversations. We know that we could change lives. It seems as though you welcome let alone accept the burden of responsibility you have for somebody else's dreams. And I definitely think that's what motivates me and keeps me going. And as an individual athlete, I wouldn't be here where I am today. We're more than just teammates. We become family. We're brothers. I never forget that I am there for him. David is always going to be Batman, and I will be Robin. And I'm perfectly fine with that because I'm still a superhero. Success through selflessness. If he wins, I win. And that's a part of 
my life. I'm going to suggest this morning that just like we saw there, the story we're getting is like a guided run to how to run through the valley of the shadow of death. It's like David takes his sons and says, sons, follow me. My life, I messed it up. My life, I sinned. My life, God had to step in and do some damage control and set me right and judge. But I want you to succeed. I want you to walk by faith. I want you to win. And so as we walk through this passage together, and we see Absalom winning initially, and David fleeing, I want you to see that in the valley of the shadow of death, David is walking us through and helping us see that we need to see opportunities to act within God's sovereign love, and we need to look to the reward of following the king well. So here's, here's the big idea. In the valley of the shadow of death, we need to see opportunities to act within God's sovereign love, and we need to look to the reward of following the king well. And it's these two layers that he's putting in that help us to see that. And so we're going to see the first layer here through when the king leaves, opportunities to act in God, inside God's love. So we pick up the story in 1 Samuel 15. Absalom has won over the hearts of the Israelites. He's successfully built up a coup and is ready to take over the, the, the kingdom of Israel. And David finds out. And David doesn't implement a secret police and crack down on everybody that's against him. David doesn't um, get his army together initially and try to go against and, and, and circle up and huddle in Jerusalem, hoping to, because to, to, he's got Jerusalem on his side after all. He runs. He flees. He, he, in a sense, he lets God take over. And we're going to see that happen here in 1 Samuel 15 and, and verse 13. A messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. And then David said to all of his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, arise and let us flee or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, behold, your servants are ready to, be, to do whatever my lord the king decides. And so the king went out and all his household after him. And the king left con 10 concubines to keep the house. And the king went out and all the people after him, and they halted at the last house. And all the servants passed by him, and all the Cherethites, and all the Pelethites, and all the six and all the six hundred Gittites who had followed him from Gath passed on from before the king. It's a stunning observation, right? Here's here's Gittites, like you know, David defeated the Philistines. Well, some of those Philistines actually 
came over to David's side in the process, 600 of them, under Ittai, the Gittite. Then the king said to Ittai, the Gittite, why do you also go with me? Go back, stay with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your home. You came only yesterday, and shall I today make you wander about with us, since I, know, I go I know not where? Go back and take your brothers with you, and may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. But Ittai answered the king, as the Lord lives and as my lord the king lives, wherever my lord the king shall be, whether for death or for life, there also will your servant be. And David said to Ittai, go then, pass on. So Ittai the Gittai passed on with all his men and all the little ones who were with him, and all the land wept aloud as all the people passed by. And the king crossed the brook Kidron, and all the people passed on toward the wilderness. So the way David frames the story is he frames it in terms of the people that he runs into. And, and we're going to get into why that is at the end of seeing these people. But, but here we have, first of all, Ittai the Gittite. He's a Philistine. <laughs> he, he's, a, he's like, David's like, you don't, you don't have to go with me. You, you signed on because I was successful, maybe. Maybe because you, you thought you could, you could take care of your family. But now I can't take care of you. I'm going to go out in the wilderness. I don't know where. Uh, you, you don't want to risk your families in that. You don't want to risk your lives in that. You don't have to do this. And Ittai, a Gentile, says, wherever you go, that's where I'm going. Reminds you of Ruth, right? To Naomi. Loyalty from a Gentile, from the, from the place he least expected it. And as we go through these, these stories, it's like David is saying to his sons, as you go through life, and especially when you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, you're going to run into people, and one of the people that you might run into is people who give you loyalty when you least expect it, give you help, stay with you when you like, you don't, deserve, you don't need to come with me, you don't need to go there. And one of the people, that, one of the questions you should ask yourself is, as you go through difficulties, are, who are the people who are you're grateful for, who are all in, even though you didn't expect it or deserve it? Do you, do you remember those people? Do you notice those people? Do you, do you like, hey, those people were, were there for me? You don't want to miss those people. It starts off the story with that type of person. And it's not just Itai the Cherethites and the Palathites too, but he focuses in on Ittai here who just recently joined him and he's like, I'm with you. I'm with you regardless. But that's just one and just for the sake of time, we can't just sit there and dwell on that too much, but let's go on to the next group of people that he runs into. And Abiathar came up, and behold, Zadok also came with the Levites, bearing the Ark of the Covenant of God. And they set down the Ark of God until the people had passed out of the city. Then the king said to Zadok, carry the Ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do it to me what seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, are you not seer, a seer? Go back to the city in peace with your two sons, Ahimaaz, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait in the fords of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. So Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. 
So here's two priests, and they're well-intentioned. They're like, hey, we need to take the ark of God with you. You know, that, that, that means God's with us. We're okay. And David doesn't fall into the trap that First Samuel earlier fall into, right? With Hophni and Phinehas. And, uh, the, the, he did, doesn't take the ark with him. He's like, if God is with me, I don't need the ark. And if God's with me, he will bring me back to himself. And it comes to, brings us back to that, that idea that, again, we're, we don't look to outward symbols. We need to trust in God, not in, in the symbols or the strategies we have. But at the same time, he does set up a system. He's like, hey, so you stay in the city and your two sons, your son and the son of, uh, of the other priest, you're, you send them to me when you know what, if you have any news, if you have, I need some insight as to what Absalom's planning. If you can get me anything, when you have something, send it to me. And so he sets up a plan. And so you, what you see here, and you'll see this in a sense repeatedly through this, is he's, he's trusting in God, but he's also acting. He's also saying, okay, we're going to have a plan. We're going to leave Jerusalem. We're going to go here, and we're going to wait to get news, and then we'll decide what to do from there. And he, he, he's both trusting God and acting at the same time. And so here's the priests who trust in God, and here's David's chance in a sense to say to his sons, you know what, you're going to have people, when you're in difficult times, they're going to like hang on to this, hang on to this symbol of hope, hang on to this issue, hang on to this, this idea that will get you through. And he's saying, no, I'm going to trust God not just in the things I can see or the, the strategies I have. You know, going back to COVID, right? You could have decided to wear a mask or not wear a mask. I hope your trust wasn't in wearing a mask or not wearing a mask to get you through. I hope your trust was in God. Because when we go through difficult times, there's always people in our lives that are like, hey, trust this, trust this, trust that. And it's like, no, trust God. Parents, you have, you're going through life and you might be people saying, hey, trust X. You know, maybe it's trust, put your kids in the Christian school or put your kids in homeschool, put your kids in public school. That, That will... Give them the best chance of whatever. And you have to pick a strategy, I get that. You, you need to pick one. But don't trust your strategy. Trust God. Stay close to God. You have to pick a political party to vote for in this country. There's only really two. I mean, you can vote third party, but... Okay, Pick one and vote, but don't trust in that political party. Trust God. God is the one who moves. God is the one who directs, and we're going to see that ultimately in this story. You're, you're going to have these choices in life, and as especially going through difficult times, you're going to be looking for answers, and that's not bad. But don't put your hope in other people's answers for your life. Trust God. 
that he's in control, that he's at work, even when we can't see what's going on. Sometimes you're going to need to, as you go through the times, you need to ask yourself the question, who are the people that, that I'm listening to? Who are the people who I might need to redirect their perspective? Because he says to the priest, no, take the ark back. A third person that he runs into, verse 30, but David went up the ascent, the ascent of Mount Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up weeping as they went. Of course, right, the Mount of Olives is outside of Jerusalem, so they've left the gate now. They're going up, and this is a sad procession, right? Everybody's weeping. Everybody's head's covered. They're going up. They're fleeing. And it was told David, as he went up the hill, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel to foolishness. We learn a little bit later in the story that both Ahithophel and Absalom, I'm sorry, David and Absalom viewed Ahithophel as the the smartest guy. The the guy, if you wanted to get something done and make sure it got done, you went to Ahithophel, okay? And here he finds out that Ahithophel is on Absalom's side. Now, it doesn't say specifically in this story. You can read between the lines of reading some genealogies. Ahithophel might have been Bathsheba's grandfather, okay? So he might have been, you know, ticked off, angry, bitter about what had happened with Bathsheba, and he is now acting, at, acting on that. I, it's not, that's not the focus of the story, but that might be some of the motivation but here he's saying, God, if Ahithophel's on Absalom's side, I'm in trouble. I need you to turn it. And then while he's, in a sense, while he's praying, while David was coming to the summit where David was worshipped, where God was worshipped, behold, Hushai the archite came to meet him with his coat torn and dirt on his head. And David said to him, if you go on with me, you will be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I have been your father's servant in time past, so now I will be your servant, then you will defeat for me the council of Ahithophel. Are not Zadok and Abiathar the priests of, with you there? So wherever, whatever you hear from the king's house, tell it to Zadok. Zadok and Abiathar the priests, behold, their sons are, the two sons are with them, Ahimaaz and Jonathan, and they also send to me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's son, David's friend, came into the city just as Absalom was entering Jerusalem. So this is how close and tight this is. As Absalom's coming in, Hushai comes back from the Mount of Olives, and as he's entering Jerusalem from one direction, Absalom's entering it from another. And here we have, in a sense, answered prayer. David, David sees an answer to prayer in, in a guy who's got, got torn clothes and is mourning. You know, a guy, a guy like, he's just come to show his, his sorrow to you. He's like, hey, here's an answer to prayer. My friend, who, who is my counselor, he can go and he can speak against Ahithophel. And so in the midst of Again, in the midst of everything that's going on, David is seeing answers to prayer. And he's praying. And in the valley of the shadow of death, again, are you, are you paying attention when things come at you and fears and, and bad news hits you? Are you going to God in prayer? And then do you see potential answers to prayer, potential answers to prayer, 
and the things that come up. Because again, David here is acting. He doesn't, he doesn't know what God's doing. He doesn't like, turn to the priest and this is the word from God. This is what you should do. He's just trusting God and, and trying to do what he can in the situation. We'll come back to Hushai and Ahithophel. Before we get there, David runs into another person. And when David had passed a little beyond the summit, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of donkeys saddled, leaving, bearing 200 loaves of bread, 100 bunches of raisins, 100 of summer fruit, and a skin of wine. And the king said to David, why have you brought these? And Ziba said, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit are for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who faint in the wilderness to drink. And the king said, And where is your master's son? And Ziba said to the king, Behold, he remains in Jerusalem. For he said, Today the house of Israel with me will give me back the kingdom of my father. Then the kingdom of Ziba, the king said to Ziba, Behold, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. And Ziba said, I pay homage. Let me find favor in your sight, my lord the king. So we have Ziba. He runs into Ziba, and he feels betrayed by Mephibosheth, right? Just put yourself in—we know more of the story later on, but put yourself in the moment for a second. He finds out that the, the man that he loved in, in Jonathan's house, the man that he, he did so much good for, that he, he rescued, has, has supposedly betrayed him. And he reacts to that. And, and I'm going to put this dealing with betrayal too quickly— because he doesn't know the full story. We find out later on, and we're going to talk about it later on, that Mephibosheth wasn't, that wasn't what Mephibosheth was seeking at all. And in the middle of, of doing this, David is in a sense saying to his sons, look, you're going to hear bad news, you're going to hear about people who betrayed you, but don't act too quickly. <laughs> don't just jump to conclusions and, and make rash statements too quickly, because, because you don't know all the facts yet. And you're always going to have, in a sense, Zebas who take advantage of the situation. This is what Zebas doing. He's like, David's on the run. And what we find out is the Zeba gives the food to him, but doesn't actually go with David. So, first of all, this is not even Zeba's food. This is Mephibosheth's food, right? Because Zeba doesn't own anything. He takes Mephibosheth's food and he gives it to David. So no loss to him. It hasn't cost him anything. And ultimately, he doesn't even go with David. He stays at Saul's lands, or Saul's lands in, in Benjamite territory. This doesn't cost him anything, but he looks good to David, and he takes advantage of the situation. And in difficult times, there will always be people who are trying to take advantage of the situation for their own profit, for their own good. And, and it's like you have, to, you have to pay attention to this. Don't react to betrayal and bad news immediately. There's going to be people who are maligning others, slandering others in the process in order to get ahead. And David's saying to his sons, in a sense, don't, don't make rash decisions in the midst of difficult times which is, again, good advice to all of us. You, you know, you, you're going through a rough time and, and someone says, well, so-and-so has always thought you, you were the worst anyway. You know what I mean? They're not on your side. They hope, they hope you die, you know, that kind of thing. Or You're like, oh, how could they? I thought they were my friend. Maybe, just maybe, 
it's just a rumor. Maybe, just maybe, it's not true. Be careful how you view other people, especially going through difficult times. But then we have someone who's definitely against David. I like to call him the conspiracy theorist. Notice what happens. When David, King David came to Bahurim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. And he came, as he came, he cursed continually, and he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men who were on his right hand and on his left. And Shimei said as he cursed, Get out! Get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned, and the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your, your evil is on you, and you are a man of blood. Can you just, just get a, imagine how Shimei got here, right? He's like, I knew it! I knew it! God was never really with you. You just usurped Saul and you took over from Saul and you were against Saul. And all those stories and all those conspiracy bills about being against you, uh, you being against Saul, they're all true. And God's finally getting back at you. I knew it. And he goes along throwing stones at them and cursing them. And when bad things happen, you have people like this who all their conspiracy theories and all the rumors they thought that were negative about the situation, and they're like, I knew it! <laughs> I predicted this! This was how this was going to go, right? Notice David's response. First of all, we get Abishai's response. Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said to the king, this is Joab's brother, right? Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. Um, let's just cut off his head. He's just, you know, it's just one guy. We're all of us. Uh, let me just stop the noise. You know, get it over with. And, and when you're going through hard times and difficulties, you will have people that will come up to you and be like, let's, get, let's stop the noise. Let's get rid of some people. Let's, let's take care of the problem. But the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? Is he, if he is cursing, because the Lord has said to him, Curse David, who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai, to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me, and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. So David and his men went on the road while Shimei went along on the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and flung dust. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan, and there he refreshed himself. What's David's response? I'm going to trust God. I'm not going to take revenge. Maybe this, is, maybe this is of God, maybe this is not, but... If it's not, then God, God will look at me and, and notice my humble, gentle response, and God will take care of it. I'm not going to take revenge right now. And when you're dealing with conspiracy and hatred, sorry for the spelling, it's my fault, uh, you, get, you get that sense of just, man, I just want to get rid of it. I don't want to, all these things that are going on, all these conspiracy theories, I just need to get rid of it. 
Step back. Trust God. And maybe in your situation, when you're going through the situation, you can step back and who's the person saying God hates you and here's proof? Because that's what, that's what Shimei is saying, right? God hates you and we finally get the proof. Sometimes in difficult situations, that person is not someone else, that person is you. Sometimes you're the one saying to yourself, God hates you, here's the proof. And one of the things you get from this story is you see person after person after person that David runs into is you get the idea that David is saying, don't just look at one person. Don't just look at one person's response and think, oh, that's the, that defines what's going on here. That's the situation. That's, that's, that's how it goes. Their, their perspective is the correct one. He's taking that guided run with his sons and he's saying, look, notice the whole thing. Notice the people that are loyal to you. Notice the people who might be using you. Notice the people who are willing to serve you in difficult circumstances. And even notice the people who say they hate you. And trust God with it all. There's one last person I'd like to point out to you before we kind of dive into Ahithophel again. Is Notice at the end. They crossed the Jordan in, verse, in chapter 17. And it says, When David came to Mahanaim, Shobi the son of Nahash from Ramah of the Ammonites, and Machir the son of Amiel from Lodabar, and Barzillai the Gileadite from Rogalim, brought beds, basins, and earthen vessels, wheat, barley, flour, parched grain, beans, and lentils, honey, and curds, and sheep, and cheese from the herd for David and his people with him to eat. For they said, The people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. Here's generosity. And it's a Gentile and two Israelites who are like, hey, these people are hurting, they, they're needy, we can be generous. And in the midst of everything, don't forget the people who are generous to you. Don't forget the people who are kind to you. Because in the midst of this, what we're seeing is David just acting. And he doesn't know what God's doing exactly. He doesn't know how this is all going to go because he, he knows the sword, in a sense, is not going to depart from his house. He's heard that from God. And so he's saying, I don't know what's going on, but I, here's what I do know. I can trust God's sovereignty in the midst of this. I can act with what I can know to do, what I can do, but I'm going to trust God in the midst of it. And we see this graphically illustrated for us in this section about Hushai and Ahithophel. So Absalom comes into Jerusalem, and it says, Now in those days, the end of chapter 16, the counsel that Ahithophel gave was as one consulted the word of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed both by David and by Absalom. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, let me choose 12,000 men and I will arise and pursue David tonight and I will come upon him while he is weary and discouraged and throw him into a panic and all the people who are with him will flee and I will strike down only the king and I will bring all the people back to you as a bride comes home to her husband. You seek the life of only one man and all the people will be at peace. And the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel. He's like saying, give me SEAL Team 6. We'll go in we'll find David, we'll just kill him, and then we'll bring everyone back. 
will solve the problem. This is not bad advice. It's good advice. But notice what Absalom does. Then Absalom called Hushai the archite. He says, call Hushai the archite also and let us hear what he has to say. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom said to him, thus has Ahithophel spoken. Shall we do as he says? If not, you speak. Then Hushai said to Absalom, this time the counsel that Ahithophel has been given has given is not good. Just this time. You know, not everybody get it right every time. This time, it's not the right idea. He says, look, you know your father and his men are mighty men. If they are enraged like a bear robbed of her cubs in the fields, besides your father's an expert in war, he will not spend the night with the people. Behold, even now he has hidden himself in one of the pits or in some other place. And as soon as some of the people fall at the first attack, whoever hears it will say, there has been a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. Then even the valiant men, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will utterly melt with fear, for all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man, and those who are with him are valiant men. But my counsel is that all Israel be gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba as the sand by the sea for multitude, and that you go to battle in person. So we shall come upon him in some place where he is to be found, and we shall light upon him as the dew falls on the ground, and of him and all the men who are with him, not one will be left. And if he draws into a city, then all Israel will bring ropes to that city, and we shall drag it into a valley until not even a pebble is to be found there. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai the archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel, and here's the key. This is the, the only time God is mentioned in this entire story. Um, the Lord, he says, For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. Then Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar, Thus and so did Ahithophel counsel Absalom and all the elders of Israel, and thus and so I have counseled. Now, therefore, send quickly and tell David. And so they send the sons, and somebody sees them. They have to hide in a well, but they get out, and they get to David, and they tell David. He crosses the Jordan as a result. By dawn, they're across the river. I want you to see here, though, this, this, this situation, right? Because David is acting, but he really has to depend on God. And, and Ahithophel has given, in a sense, perfect advice because frankly, David wasn't going to hide out in a pit. He was going to stay with his people. He was going to lead his people. He wasn't going to go there, that route. But God uses Hushai, who's just another guy, so to speak. He's given counsel sometimes. He's not viewed that, that well. But God uses it. And Hushai doesn't even know what the answer is. Hushai just gives his advice and leaves. And of course, he's not part of the ultimate discussions. And he has to go to, to the priest and say, look, I don't know what's going to happen, but here's, there, there are two plans. You need to get those two plans to David so he knows what, what their options are and David can decide what to do. And David, when he finds out, doesn't even know what Absalom's going to do. You say, well, which is it? Did did Absalom or David getting the message, did that deliver David or did the decision they made at the beginning? From a human perspective, you can't tell. But God gives us insight here. He's like, he's like I, I wanted to defeat Absalom because he's attacking my anointed. So here's what you need to know. And that's when, when we get into the valley of the shadow of death and when you're in dark and difficult times in your life, when it feels like God is not there, here's what you need to know. God still loves you. He's still for you. How do you know that? Because he sent his son to die for you. 
You know, there's a picture here. David flees across the Jordan. And at the end of time, when, again, the Antichrist comes to attack Israel and crush Israel, again, Israel is told to flee across the Jordan River. And they're told to do it quickly. <laughs> Why? Because God is not going to let the Antichrist win. We know the end of history. But in the midst of that, we don't know exactly what's going on. <laughs> we don't know exactly how everything's going to go. And in your dark times where you're in the valley of the shadow of death, you're fearful, you're worried, you're concerned. You're like, how is this going to go? Here's what you can know. David clings to God's providence. God's in control. I can trust God. I don't know exactly how this is going to go for me personally, but I can trust God because I know he loves me. And then you can act. You can do... He, David picked strategies. He did things. He acted because he said, God's in control. Not, okay, God's in control. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to wait to see what God does. No, God's in control. I'm going to do what I can. And we are sons and daughters of the king. We will also be taken through difficult times by God. In his sovereign love, he will take you through the valley of the shadow of death. That's why Psalm 23 is written. But when he takes you through those times, it doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. It means that he wants you to see his love in different ways. To see him work in ways that you don't deserve, you can't understand. We don't. Why did Absalom pick Hushai's logic? I mean, it appealed to his ego, it appealed to his sense of safety, it appealed, but ultimately, why? Because God ordained it. End of story. And we can trust a God who loves us. But David doesn't end the story, and we have to skip forward after Absalom is ultimately defeated, and we're going to look at that next week. But I want you to see how these same people show up at the end of the story in 1 Samuel 19, where we get into when the king returns looking to the rewards. And again, the point is, is that the king, God's king is always going to win, not in every situation. David flees in this situation. But then David wins, and God's king is going to win too. And just to make the point, right? Some t right now, it's not necessarily popular to be a Christian. And it's getting less so in some ways, right? Where you, where you say, we need to believe in God, and we, we, there's right and wrong, and that, that, that we need to not just live for ourselves. We, need, we need, not to need, need not just to live for today. We need to live for heaven. That's not popular to hear. The king isn't as popular as, that is, the king Jesus isn't as popular as when I was growing up. How do you deal with that? The king's still going to win. And therefore, we need to look to the rewards. And David gives us three examples of rewards. And the first 
he gives after the battle is Shimei. Notice. So let's start in first, Second Samuel, sorry, nineteen, verse eleven. Second Samuel, nineteen, verse eleven. And King David sent his son to Zadok, uh, sent this message to Zadok and Abiathar the priest, saying, Say to the elders of Israel, Why should you be the last to bring the king back to his house after the battle was won? When, when the word of Israel, all Israel has come to the king, you are my brothers, you are my bone and my flesh. Why then should you be the last to bring, the, to bring back the king? And say to Amasa, Are you not bone, my bone and flesh? God, do so to me, and more also if you're not commander of my army from now on in place of Joab. He's, he's basically saying, Hey, I'm not, I'm not against you. And he swayed the heart of all the men of Judah as one man, and so they went and sent word to the king, return both you and all your servants. So the king came back to Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal to meet the king and to bring the king over the Jordan. And notice, and Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite from Bahurim, hurried down to come down with the men of Judah to meet King David. And with him were a thousand men from Benjamin. And Ziba, the house, servant of the house of Saul, with his 15 sons and 20 servants, rushed down to the Jordan before the king. And they crossed the ford to bring over the king's household and to do all his pressure. And Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king as he was about to cross the Jordan and said to the king, Let not my lord hold me guilty or remember how your servant did wrong on the day my lord the king left Jerusalem. Did not, do not let the king take it to heart, for your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come this day, the first of all the house of Joseph, to come down to meet my lord the king. And Abishai, he's Abishai again, right? Answered, shall not Shimei be put to death for, for this because he cursed the Lord's anointed? But David said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah, that you should this day be as an adversary to me? Shall anyone be put to death in Israel this day? For I do not know, the, for do I not know that I am the, this day king over Israel? And the king said to Shimei, you shall not die. And the king gave him his oath. So here we have that idea of Shimei saves his life by pleading for peace. He's like, I messed up, David, and I'm here to admit I messed up. <laughs> I was wrong. My conspiracy theory was wrong. This is, I was, uh, everything about this was wrong. I'm sorry. Uh, will you please forgive me? And, of course, <laughs> Abishai is like, nope, I think he deserves to die. This is the way it should go. And he's like, no. This is a man who comes to me humbly on a day when I'm rejoicing at being king. He's not going to die. But you notice there's no reward either. There's no reward. He's like, you get your life. That's about it. It reminded me of 1 Corinthians 3, right, where it says when, we get, when Christ returns for us, he says, according to the, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me, like a mass, skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's the king. It's his, it's his kingdom. There's no other king, okay? Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward, but if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. When the king returns, you can sue for peace, <laughs> but you have no reward. And, and so partially the point is, 
When the king looks like he's being defeated, are you going to buy into conspiracy theories? Are you going to turn to all of those things? Or are you going to trust the king? One gives reward and one doesn't. Again, we've got to keep moving because of time, but notice Ziba and Mephibosheth. It says, And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. He had neither taken neither care of his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came back in safety. And when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. And, you know, he's basically saying, I got lied to, I got left behind, and look, I'm lame. It's not like I can take care of myself. I couldn't come with you on my own. My servant used this against me. The king answers and said to him, Why speak of any more of your affairs? I have decided you and Ziba shall divide the land, split your in- the inheritance. I just want to make this point in the, in the whole part of this. is like this, this whole story started, this whole arc of story started with, with Mephibosheth, with David being loyal and giving giving. To, to Mephibosheth based on his covenant with, with Jonathan. But David's sin now causes this loyalty, this blessing upon Mephibosheth to be split, to be halved. And you can, you can sit here and argue, and in fact, it'd be a good question to ask your kids, help them develop their sense of justice, okay? Around the kitchen table, ask them, who, who, do you think this is just on David's part or not? Oh, how would you handle this if you were David and you were stuck in this situation? The point in, in the text, though, I think, is, is notice the last verse. Mephibosheth said to the king, Oh, let him take it all, since my lord the king has come safely home. And, and so, we, first of all, Shimei has to sue for peace, but Ziba and Mephibosheth, loyalty and injustice. You, you get Mephibosheth's point here. It's like, David, I... I wanted to help you, but I'm lame. I wanted to fight with you, but I'm lame. I, I couldn't do anything except not take care of myself. <laughs> How lame is that? You know. And, and some of us, when, when we look at our lives and we look at our situation, we say, God, I, I can't do anything. God, I, I can't serve you. I can't, I can't do anything big. I can't do anything great. There's nothing for me to do. I, I feel weak. I feel useless. But you know what? The one thing that Mephibosheth demonstrates here is his loyalty to David. His loyalty to David. And sometimes, you just need to remember this, and in fact, this is, frankly, this is, I think, why it's in Scripture, is God doesn't want your greatness. He wants your loyalty. He doesn't want all the great things you can do for him because, frankly, he can do all of those things for himself. He wants your loyalty. I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 6. It's talking about in the church how you can have a grievance one against another, and he, he, he ends it by saying this way. He says, can it be, Brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Verse 7 says, To have lawsuits at all with one another is already defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Why not let injustice happen, but demonstrate your loyalty to God? Why not do that? Is what Paul is saying here. It reminds me also of 2 Timothy, right? Chapter 4, where Paul says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. Therefore, 
Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. David didn't get this one totally right, probably. But we have a king who will get it right and will reward us not for all the great things we do for him, but will reward us for our faithfulness, our loyalty. And the last point I want to point out is Barzillai. Notice, I don't have time to read it all. Verse 31, now Barzillai, the Gileadite, had come down from Jelim. Barzillai was a very aged man, 80 years old. He had provided the king with food while he stayed at Manahim, for he was Mahanaim, for he was a very wealthy man. And the king said to Barzillai, come over with me, and I will provide for you with me in Jerusalem. But Barzillai said to him, how many years will I, have I still to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? I'm 80. Can I discern what is pleasant and what is not? Can your servant taste what he eats or what he drinks? Can I listen to the voice of singing men and women? Why then should I do that? Why should the king repay me with such a reward? Please let your servant return, that I may die in my own city near the grave of my parents. Here is your servant Shimham. Let him go over with my Lord. And here's just, Barzillai was generous, and the reward for generosity when the king returns, is contentment. <laughs> Isn't it great to see the king? Isn't it great to see him on his throne? And, oh, and maybe you could bless my, <laughs> this guy over here, because <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> I'm great. I'm good. I got to serve the king with my life. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 9. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bounty, bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I think these three stories are here as illustrations of three different ways. And, and frankly, in, in life you're going to go through, you're going to find yourself in all three of their situations. Sometimes where you're like, you've been mad at God, you're angry with God, and you don't respond well in a trial. And you just need a super peace. God, God I messed up, I'm sorry. Sometimes you need to be like, like Mephibosheth, God, I couldn't do anything. I was just weak in the situation. I feel like there's nothing I could do. And so I just, I'm just here to say I was loyal to you as best as I could be. I didn't know what else to do. And sometimes you get the chance to be generous, to, to rejoice and say, God, there was something going on and I realized I could help out with that. And I did. I, I was generous. I gave as much as I could to help that thing happen. And this is awesome. Isn't it great? And I'm just going to step back and say, God, thank you for letting me be involved. And, oh, yeah, could you bless someone over here now? This would be awesome. <laughs> Three different ways to respond to the king's return. And frankly, all of them are okay. <laughs> Why? Because the king returned. <laughs> and that's what we're dealing with. That's what we have to deal with, is there's going to come a point in time in history when Jesus returns when he sets up his throne and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And frankly, you don't want to be the people that are against him. So be like Shimei and <laughs> sue for peace if you need to. Be like Mephibosheth and just say, I'm just grateful I was got to be loyal. I, I'm not, it's okay. <laughs> and be like Barzillai and say, what I could, I gave. And I'm glad I could. You know, 
goes, it helps me go back and think. David wrote, in a sense, he didn't write this story, but he, he told the story and it got written down, right? And he told it for someone else. Because, in a sense, he realized, you know what? My life, is, <laughs> it's not going to turn out the way I thought it was going <laughs> to. It's not going to, God, God is doing things and I'm not in control, but here's what I do know. I want my sons to cross the line. I want people that are hearing this to cross the line well. And so I'm writing these things, I'm saying these things in order to, for that to happen. Can I just talk for people who are, you know, my age and older? People who've, you know, experienced life enough to be like, life did not go the way I planned. It's okay. God's still in control. God's still working. You're still under the sovereign hand of a God who loves you. but there are people behind you who need to run well too. And they need to see how God has worked in your life. They need to see the faithfulness of God. They need to see his love. They need to see the, the people that God used in your life. And my question to you is, do you have a story to tell? A story that, like David, will help people cross the line well. Reminds me of Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the thing which, cl which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Christ ran the race for us. He showed us how to finish well. But there are people behind us. And even if our lives aren't exactly what we thought they were going to be, they need to finish well. And your story, your example, your, your understanding of what God's done in your life and in the Word of God needs to be passed on. Will you do it? We've got students coming back in the fall We've got international students who are coming for the first time. We've got people who are, who, who, need, who are just, in a sense, starting their race. But they need to finish well. Frankly, most of them are blind. <laughs> they don't really know what life's about. They don't really know how to, how to make things work. They don't really know how to finish the, cross the line. I mean, you're like, I'm not sure I'm not how to cross the line either. Well, you've learned a few things. And hopefully the biggest thing you've learned is that God loves you even in difficult times. And you need to pass it on. So, will you do that? And if you're here this morning and you, I have to ask one last question for those of you here and you're like wrestling with just, should I trust in Jesus or not? you have to decide what you're going to do with Jesus. Is he the king who came and died on a cross for all of men's sins and rose again and is seated at God's right hand and is coming back for us? Or is that just a story? It's a myth. It's just something that doesn't really matter to my life. I'm just going to live my life and do what I please. Because if it's not a myth, he's coming back. And he is going to judge all of us for how we responded to the king. That's part of the story here. David comes back and everyone 
needs to respond to that. Jesus is coming back, and you need to respond to that too. Maybe you're like, well, I've got my life. I'm gonna, I've, got, I've got things I want to do, college, college I want to go to, career I want to have, joys in life I want to have. I, I want to have my life. Life doesn't go the way you plan. <laughs> you need a king. There's only one king you can trust. You know what? There was a time when men sought out Jesus, just like they were seeking out David here. And Jesus didn't flee across the Jordan. He stayed. And he was arrested. And he was hung on a cross because he knew how to win the ultimate battle by conquering sin and death. That's why he's the king of kings. So what will you do with Jesus? Jesus says it's simple. It's not like you have to do a lot of things. You don't have to take a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. You don't have to do anything except, except that he's king and call out to him. Romans ten thirteen says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you done that? Have you asked him to be your king? Heavenly Father, we thank you for David. We thank you for, in a sense, that passion for looking at the next generation and saying, learn, see, see God at work even when everything has gone wrong. And know that God's sovereign love is still in control. Lord, we need that because evil seeks to get us to believe that you don't love us. That you don't care about us. That if you exist, you're evil yourself. But you are good and you love us. You're at work even when we can't see what's going on. And so, Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to remember that Jesus is coming. And help us to look to that reward by doing good where we can. And when we just feel weak, help us to remember that when we are weak, you are strong. And just be loyal. We thank you in your son's name. Amen.